Welcome to the Wisdom, Work, and Wealth podcast. My name is Chad Haley, a worship pastor turned entrepreneur. Each week, we will feature a message or guest that digs into the heart of God and His kingdom in order to help you tap into your God-given ability to create wealth and live the abundant life that Jesus promised. Now, let's jump into the show. So I thought I would start this podcast off by really just digging into the word because wisdom, work, and wealth, that's really what it's all about. It's all about digging into the word and seeing what God's word actually says about the work that we do and creating wealth. Now, wealth, we could go and talk all day about what wealth is and what it isn't, but the the heart of the matter uh, when it comes to wealth is that we are going to grow. Wealth is about growth. It's about increase. And it's about, you know, and I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm talking about increasing in your life, increasing in your health, getting better and and increasing in your life, maybe becoming a better parent. That's part of growth. That's becoming wealthier. As a better parent, you have a wealth of knowledge that you can pass down to your children, which is leaving an inheritance to your children's children. All these things tie back into what the Bible says about work and wealth. And wisdom is where the Bible comes in. So I thought we'd start today by reading through, um, I'm going to read through Proverbs 22, and I'm just going to comment uh, here, there, and yonder. And I'm choosing this one because there are very, there's, there's a lot of good stuff here, obviously, but there are several things that are addressed in Proverbs 22 that I think tend to be maybe taken out of context a little bit sometimes when it comes to the word. And so I want to dig in, bring some clarity, and hopefully give you some encouragement to be able to move into your wealth, whatever that may be for you. Maybe it is that you're trying to make more money because you want to be a greater blessing in the world. Or maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe it is that you want to be a better parent. Maybe you just want to be a better leader in your business. Um, Maybe you want to start a business. I don't know. I'm hoping that somewhere along the way here, you're going to hear something that's really going to inspire you. And and so we're going to dig in. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. So This is Proverbs 22. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and the reason I am is because it kind of simplifies it into plain English. The other translation that I really like is the New King James, which is a little more literal when it comes to the translation itself. So it translates from the actual Greek or the Hebrew directly into English language. And they try to keep the context as close as possible to the original meaning. This is a little more summarizing, but I I feel like it still captures the essence. And so, so if we may do this another time and I'll use a different translation, but today I'm using the New Living. So Proverbs 22 Verse one says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. I love that. I think that's so simple. It speaks to our character. Guys, this is wisdom. This is wisdom at its finest. And it's wisdom that actually leads to wealth. See, it says, choose a good reputation over great riches. A lot of times the good reputation will lead to great riches because a good reputation 
in your community, a good reputation in your sphere of influence, a good reputation brings more people to you. See, the law of attraction becomes an actual thing in your life. It actually has effect when you have a good reputation. Now, how do you get a good reputation? Well, that's a whole nother thing altogether. It really comes down to your character. Who are you when no one is looking? If your character reflects the character of God when no one is looking, then when people are looking, they're still going to see that same character. That is how you create a good reputation. So verse two, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. I have a great friend and, and he's a, he's a, he's been a football coach. Um, he told me something one time that really just wrecked me. It really blew my mind. He said, he said, he was talking about kids and about loving on your kids. And he was talking about loving on his athletes. And, and he said, treat them all equally, but never the same. You know, what he was saying was that was, was give each one of them their due amount of love, love them equally but never the same because I have three boys as, as, as many of you may know, I have three boys and my oldest is, is he's just a natural born leader. That's just who he is. I think all three of my boys are leaders in their own right, but, but my oldest is, is just, that's just who he is. And so I speak to that in his character. I speak life into him being a leader and leading a charge in whatever it is he chooses to go into. But then my second, my second born is much more reserved. He's much more calm, cool, and collected. He's very sweet, but he's a little more timid about things. And while I know he's a leader, that timidity in him, I think is something that God gave him. God gave him that not for fear or anything like that, but God gave him that to be calm, cool, and collected. And so, and so I speak to that, you know, and then, and then my youngest is, he's a fireball. <laughs> it just is. And, and, but I love them all equally, but never the same. I've got to love them as the person that they are, you know, and, and you can find this in the workplace. You can find this in your home, um, you know, that you're going to have, you know, if you, if you're, if you're a manager or if you're a, a business owner, you're going to find that there are people in your business that, that, Maybe you don't want to treat equally for whatever reason. Maybe they're hard to work with. Maybe they're hard-headed. Maybe who knows what that, what that could be. But treating all of them equally, each one of your employees equally, again, it goes back to that character thing. Your character shines through when you love each one of them the same. We may not get through all of this today. Verse three, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Prudence, y'all. It's about being aware. Um, something that I learned from Andy Andrews was about being a noticer and paying attention to the world that's going on around you. Paying attention to what lines up and what doesn't, to where things are happening and where they're not, to what's happening and what's not happening. Um, just opening your eyes and being aware. I don't watch the news a whole lot, just enough to know and be aware of what's going on. And then I watch the world. And and you can just watch the world around you and figure out pretty quickly what's happening. Uh, jump on social media and just thumb through for a little bit. Um, if you're not friends with people who think differently from you, I would highly encourage that. Um, it's challenging. Sometimes it's downright hard because you want to disagree with them, but I want 
to know people that disagree with me because I need to see other perspectives. And what I've learned is in the world of online social media and all that good stuff, the algorithms that be, the rhythms that are, they will figure out what kind of person you are and they will push content toward you that solidifies your belief. So if you are a conservative Christian, you are going to get content pushed towards you that is conservative in nature and more Christian in nature. Now, they may push content towards you that aggravates your conservative, your conservative Christian, but one way or another, they know exactly what content to put in front of you to get a rise out of you, good or bad. And so when you're friends with people who think differently from you, then you, you don't confuse the algorithm, but the algorithm will show you more. And so, and so be aware of what's going on. This is, again, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. So verse four, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and a long life. Guys, I could talk days on this one. Um, it really is a, a prudent person, or I'm sorry, true humility is, is walking in walking in the purpose that God gave you. That's what true humility is. It's knowing that I am I have a purpose, God gave it to me and I will walk in that purpose. If it, like for me, I believe that one of my purposes is as a worship leader and I walk strongly in that purpose. I don't shy away from it. I don't get bashful about it, but I'm also not going to gloat about it and go, "Look at me, I'm so awesome." Um I'm awesome. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> But, but it's not about gloating or being ugly. It's, it's, it's about, it's about knowing who I am and who God created me to be. That's what this is about. True humility is about knowing who you are, whose you are and who God created you to be. Now, fear of the Lord. Everyone I think has a different opinion here or has a different definition of what fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord me, to me, Fear of the Lord to me is about reverence. It's about seeing who God is and trusting that he is who he is. It's not about anything else other than trusting that God is who he says he is. And because he is who he says he is, I want to live my life for him. That is fear of the Lord. It is me surrendering... Uh, My apologies. The, I couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> Apparently, I said something that woke Siri up. Anyway, um, fear of the Lord is simply saying that I will surrender my life to God and allow him to choose my direction. And I will honor him and I will respect him and I will be obedient to what he asks of me all the days of my life. That is fear of the Lord. And it leads to riches, honor, and a long life. I don't know about you guys, but those three things, riches, honor, and a long life, man, those all sound amazing. Here's the, here's the thing about that word riches. And I just want to say this. This is Solomon who wrote this. And he said, riches, honor, and a long life. And what did he do? He feared the Lord and he asked for wisdom. So God granted him wisdom and gave him riches. To this day, he is still the richest king that ever lived. I think he's actually, if, if you did a comparison to what he had then and what that might look like today, I believe that he's still the richest man to ever live. And that word riches, when you look it up in the Hebrew, guess what it means? It means money. 
It means dollar bills. We ain't talking about poor people here. We're talking about humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches. Riches lead to honor and a long life. When you have money, guess what you can do? You can buy you you can buy you some stuff if you want to. Sure, there's nothing wrong with buying stuff as long as your stuff doesn't have you. But you can also buy some shoes for somebody that doesn't have them. You can buy a meal for somebody that's on the corner who's hungry, who's got a family that they're trying to take care of. You can build a well in India or in some foreign part of the world. You can take care of the people in in the urban areas of, of your town or in the urban areas near you who are struggling to try to figure out how to make ends meet. When you have money, you can do things that no, that most people can't do because you have been blessed to be a blessing. So anyway... Verse five, corrupt people walk a thorny, treacherous road. Whoever values life will avoid it. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Verse six, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Y'all, this is, this, is, this is what life is about. If you're a parent, and I know many of you are, if you're a parent, this is what life is about. It's about training up your children. That's what another version says. It says, train your children in the way that they should go. And when, they, oh, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Guys, this is about training your children to know who God is, to know who they are in Christ. This is, that's the foundation of life. And, and, and if you want a good suggestion, here's what I do with my boys. Every morning I get to take my boys to school, guys. It's my fa- It's one of my favorite times of the morning. We get to drive to school together, hang out, have a good time in the car. Sometimes we jam and dance. Sometimes we have conversations. Sometimes we do a little, a, a little Bible verse study. Um, sometimes we just talk about stuff, but every morning for just a couple of minutes, on that drive, it's about a 10-minute drive to get to school. Every morning, we do our what's called our I am's. And I would highly encourage you, especially you men, if you get to take your kids to school in the morning, you need to be doing this with your children. Hands down, it'll change the way they see you. It'll change the way they see themselves. And ultimately, this is training up a child in the way that they should go. Guys, every morning I, I, I look through the Bible, I've searched online, I've done every kind of searching that I can find to find statements that begin with the two words, I am. See, when we use those two words, whatever follows those two words has a lot of power to it. So if you say, I am stupid, what happens is stupidity begins to form around you. It's crazy to think, but our words have power. One of my mentors said that our words create our world. What you speak about comes about. I've heard that before too. This is about training up your children to know who they are in Christ. So we say our I am's every morning. I am strong. I am confident. I am created by God. I am anointed. I am blessed. I am favored. I am blessed going in and coming out. I am above and not beneath. I am the head and not the tail. I am more than a conqueror. I am grateful. I am loved. All of these things. We say a lot of them every single morning. Now, we may not see every one of them every single morning. We may do 10. And then at the end of that prayer, we say, and something amazing will happen to me today in Jesus' name. Amen. And the cool thing is, is that we don't say, 
well, something, you know, something amazing will happen to me today. Something amazing could be an opportunity to show gratitude. Something amazing could be an opportunity to show leadership. Something amazing could be an opportunity to share one of the fruits of the spirit, self-control, joy, patience, all of those. It could be an opportunity. That's the something amazing. It could literally be something amazing. You know, dad, I got a hundred on my spelling test. Dad, I aced my trigonometry test. You know, those kinds of things are amazing too. We celebrate those things, but we celebrate the small things too. When it comes to people and it comes to my kids, I want them to know who they are so that when other kids come against them and say, you're so dumb, you're so ugly, you're so this or you're so that, my boys know exactly how to respond. And they will say, no, I'm not. God says I am. And that's how they'll respond. No, I'm not. God says I am, I am intelligent. God says I am gaining wisdom. God says, I am above and not beneath. I am not stupid. You know, and so it's, it's, it's amazing what your kids will begin to say when you train them on how to say it and who they are. And that's what we do. So that's a big one right there. Um, here's another really huge one. This is one that we've all heard before. This is one that we all, basically anyone who is a Christian that says that debt is bad, they will always refer to this verse right here. Verse seven says, just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, here's what happens. What happens is many times this verse is taken in one part. Well, you know, the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, a borrower is a slave to the lender. You know, if, if you're borrowing money, you are automatically a slave to whoever's loaning that money to you. And, and it's always left at that statement. The borrower is the servant or the slave to the lender. Now, here's the thing. There's the whole sentence is just as the rich rule over the poor. So the borrower is the servant to the lender. To me, we have to understand the first part of the sentence for the last part of the sentence to truly make sense. And, and when we look at this, I look at it and I see just as the rich rule over the poor. Now, this word rich in this context right here, what the word actually means is it's actually talking about people, people who use their money as a power tool over those that don't have any. So they basically make slaves out of people without. And, and the people who are without, well, they don't realize that they, that they have other opportunities or other options. They just believe that that's the best it's going to be. This is the rich ruling over the poor. So the borrower is the servant or the slave to the lender. So they're saying that the lender is similar to the rich person and the borrower is similar to the poor. Here's the thing. That doesn't have to be. Are there going to be times in your life when you're going to need to borrow? Absolutely there are. I I bought a car, paid cash for it several years, this is many years ago now. And and the car we we drove it till the wheels fall off literally. But what happened was we got to a point where the car started having a lot of mechanical issues. And every month, it seemed like we were spending five and $600 a month just to keep the car on the road. And we probably did that for six to eight months 
before we finally were like, okay, we've got to do something else. But we couldn't get ahead. See, we couldn't save any more money. We kept trying to save, you know, we had the thousand dollars in the bank and we were doing, you know, we were doing the, the, the thing to try to get ourselves out of debt. So we had cash cars that we had paid for. So we're doing, we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing, but this car just would not stop breaking down on us. And we couldn't figure out how to get it fixed up so that it would work right. And, and when it finally, it broke down on the freeway one day and I couldn't get it off the road. Um, it was a, it was a four lane, four lane highway. There wasn't really a shoulder to pull off onto and cars are coming by and they're whizzing by at 55 miles an hour. People are honking and it's just me in the car and my three-year-old in the back seat, or my four-year-old at the time. And I was scared. I'm not gonna lie. Like that scared me. That was a scary situation. And and I'm worried. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And my son calmly and patiently in the backseat says, Daddy, we should we should just pray. And um, and I thought, wow, from the mouths of babes. So that's what we did. We prayed, and I kid you not, the moment we said amen, we had three guys jump out of their car, come up, push us up into a parking lot that was nearby, jump back in their car and disappeared. Didn't even have an opportunity to say thank you before they were gone. I mean, just, it was absolutely the fastest, most crazy moment. But it put us in a situation where I ended up having to have the car towed again, had to have it worked on again, and it still wasn't running right. It still wasn't working right. And here I am. I just spent another almost $1,000 to keep the car run. I finally decided, you know what? For the last eight months, I've been spending $400, $500, $600, a month. I figured it all out, and I figured out that it was right at $700 a month that I was spending for the last six months to keep that car alive. Guys, for $700 a month, I could have been driving a beautiful brand new Lexus. But instead, I'm driving this clunker of a car that won't get that won't get to where it needs to go. So I decided, we as a family decided it was time to do something. And we found a little car that was safe, it was new, and, and it was used, so it wasn't full price new, but it was still new. It was a couple years old, Still had a good warranty on it, had good everything. Everything worked, had all the safety features. It ran like a dream, and we bought it. And it wasn't terribly expensive. The payment ended up being $300 a month. So $300 a month as opposed to I was spending almost $700 a month. That gave me almost 14 to eight, 14 to 16 months of payments that, I w- that it would have been costing me just to keep my car running. And, and to me, it was worth it because I had peace of mind knowing that my son was safe in my car, knowing that I was going to be safe in my car and was going to be able to get where I needed to go. And it was so it was so worth it. So worth it. That kind of thing is, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that the borrower being servant to the lender. I was not a servant to that lender. Did I have a payment? Heck yeah, I did. What, did I care? No, I was keeping my family safe. And, and not only that, but we were actually putting more money in the bank. We were actually able to save more money that way because we weren't spending so much money every month trying to keep the car alive. So borrower being servant to the lender, guys, it's, it's, it's a state of mind is really what it is because you could be a servant to the lender. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was a servant to the people. You can serve the lender, but you can also turn this around and say, I am not the poor. I myself am rich. And because I am rich, I do not have to be a servant to the lender. So when we bought our home, 
we were jump because we're self-employed, we're having to jump through all these crazy hoops to get our loan. And it came to a point where I was finally, I was sick of it. I was tired of giving them documentation. They knew more about us than we knew about ourselves. We had given them everything, years of bank statements, years of tax returns. I mean, we had jumped through every hoop they had asked us to jump through just to try to get qualified for a home. And it was driving me crazy that they weren't qualifying us because we were like, look, we make more than enough. There's no reason why this shouldn't be good to go. Let's move forward, please. Well, it came down to it, and I finally, God finally showed me this verse one day, and he said, why are you, why are you being the slave? I didn't call you to be a slave. You are above and not beneath. You are the head and not the tail. So why are you being a slave? And I realized what was happening. I realized that I was surrendering to everything they wanted, and I wasn't asking them for anything. I wasn't giving them demands. So I finally realized the things that I wanted from my lender. And I made a list and I sat down with, I sat down with the, mortgage, the, the mortgage guy and I said, look, here's the things I want. And if you can't get me these things, we don't have a deal. It's that simple. And, and so he looked the list over and said, we can do all of these. There's one thing on this list that we're going to have to work on just a little bit, but I think we can get it done too. And so I said, okay, then we can move forward. If you can't get everything done on the list, though, we don't have a deal. So he showed me how we were going to be able to do the one thing on the list that had some question marks by it, showed me how we would do that. And then we moved forward and everything was great. But it took me realizing that I am not a slave to the lender. I am above and not beneath. See, it goes back to those I ams. And, and when I did that, it made all the difference in the world because it allowed me to take the upper hand. Guys, see, this is what wisdom does. This is what working and wealth can do for you. When you have a wealth of wisdom, you understand who you are and who you're not. So I look at this just as the rich rule over the poor. So the borrower is servant to the lender. Well, if you are poor in mind or in spirit, then you may very well be a borrow, be a slave to the lender. However, if you are above and not beneath, if you are the head and not the tail, if you are blessed going in and blessed coming out, you are not poor. That makes you rich. And because you are rich, you have authority and power over the lender. Make any lender that you borrow from your slave, not the other way around. Work for your terms. It's, most people will tell you it's not possible. I will tell you it is. You can work for your terms. You may not get every term that you want, but you can work to have terms in your favor. There's always a way, always a way. Now, do I say that, that lending and borrowing, do I say that borrowing all the time is the, best, is the best solution? No, it's not. But there's a time and a place. And there are things that you will borrow for that are going to help move you along in the long run. If you decide to go into business, and you, let's say you decide to open up a shop, a convenience store, if you will. How do you stock that convenience store? Most likely, unless you're just sitting on a giant trunk of cash that you are able to use to purchase the, the building itself and to stock it full, most likely you're going to end up getting a loan to stock the store so that you can sell everything in the store and pay the loan back. That's how life works. It is what it is. But if you understand how all that works 
it can work to your power, your advantage, and give you the ability to still bless others in the meantime. So let's keep moving. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster and their reign of terror will come to an end. Bam. Verse nine, blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Guys, I think this is why understanding wealth is so powerful. Because you are blessed to get to be generous. You are blessed to be a blessing. That's exactly what that says. Uh, Verse 10, throw out the mocker and fighting goes to quarrels and insults will disappear. That means sometimes there's poison in your group and you got to get rid of the poison and then peace comes. This happens in your home. Sometimes you're the poison and you can't throw yourself out, but you can certainly change your attitude. If you're not sure how to do that, hit me up, shoot me a message, shoot me a direct message. I'd love to talk to you more about how you can do that. Um, Whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have the king as a friend. Guys, this is about influence and attraction right there. Whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have the king as a friend. This basically says, if you have an obnoxious tongue, if you use slander and slang all the time, if you're constantly insulting or cursing, um, and and you know what? If that's you, I'm not, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to show you what the word says. The word says that if you have a gracious, if you have gracious speech, your speech is full of gratitude. Your speech is full of, of, of grace. It's full of humility. Your, your, your speech is, is designed to help build people up and not tear them down. If that's your speech, then you will have the king as a friend. I don't know about y'all, but having those kind of friends is the kind of friends I want. I would love to have more kings as my friends. So make your speech accordingly. Let your heart be pure. The Lord preserves those with knowledge, but he ruins the plans of the treacherous. Guys, this is wisdom. The Lord preserves those with knowledge. He's going to take care of you. That's what that's saying. Verse 13, the lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. Y'all, if you ain't willing to work, you're going to die anyway. I mean, that's all there is to it. David slayed the lion. What was the other guy's name? Benaiah? No. Um, I can't. Maybe it was Benaiah. Mark Batterson wrote a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And, um, and it was about this, about a warrior from the Bible who actually chased a lion into, his, into a pit and killed him with his bare hands. The Bible also talks about David and how David did the same thing. Y'all. We can be bold as we can be bold as those men and and kill lions, slay lions. Think about having that kind of confidence in everything that you do. That when the lions come at you, you have the authority and the strength to slay them. Don't be lazy. Be diligent. Work hard. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. The mouth of an immoral woman is a dangerous trap. Those who make the Lord angry will fall into it. It's about temptation. And, and the reason that he uses, you know, I, I think when the Bible was written, it was written thinking more, more so that it was written for men. So this works for men and women too. The mouth of an immoral woman is a dangerous trap. 
She can ensnare you. She can be beautiful. She can use her words to really attract you and pull you in. This is about temptation. Understand where your weaknesses are. When you understand where your weaknesses are, you can put on armor to guard those weaknesses. That's what we need to understand there. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it away. (laughs) A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it away. What kind of physical discipline, Chad? Well, you know, there's another verse in the Bible that says, if you spare the rod, you will spoil the child unto death. Meaning that if I don't put a rod on my child's butt, sometimes when he steps out of line, we're going to have a problem later on in life. That's what this is all about. Sometimes it means, sometimes it means like with my kids, when my kids step out of line, the first thing we do is we assign push-ups. Now, is that mean? I don't think so. I think it's honest. I think it builds strength in them, which is important, but I think it also builds character. It helps them understand that there are there is pain involved in disobedience. That's what I want my children to understand, that there is pain involved in disobedience. If they disobey and they have to do push-ups, I'm going to make them do enough push-ups that they're going to feel that burn. It may be 30, it may be 40, but they're going to feel that burn. And I'm not doing it because I'm mean. I'm doing it because physical discipline will drive the foolishness out of my child's heart. And that's what I want. I don't want foolish children. I want wise children. I want children that grow up knowing how to be wise adults, knowing how to be disciplined and obedient adults, because we need more of them in this world. A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor, this is verse 16, or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. It's pretty self-explanatory. 17... Um, 17 through 21 is one statement. It says, listen to the words of the wise, apply your heart to my instruction for it is good to keep these sayings in your heart and always ready on your lips. I am teaching you today. Yes, you, that's you. So you will trust in the Lord. I've written 30 sayings for you filled with advice and knowledge in this way. You may know the truth and take an accurate report to those who sent you. And then he goes into, this is the beginning of the 30 statements. So number one, uh, verse 22 says, do not rob the poor just because you can or exploit the needy in court for the Lord is their defender. He will ruin anyone who ruins them. That's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 24 and 25 says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Guys, this, this actually applies in a lot of areas in life. Basically, what it's saying is, is don't get around negative people. If you spend all your time around angry people, guess what? You're going to be angry too. If you spend all your time around people that are lie, that lie, cheat, and steal, then guess what you're going to do? You're likely going to lie, cheat, and steal too. This is about input and output. See, what you enter into is what comes out of. So if all you do is watch crap on TV and all you do is listen to junk on the radio, then what's going to come out of you is crap and junk. But if you listen to things that encourage you, if you surround yourself with people who see you for who you are, for who God created you to be, then you will find yourself growing into the person that God created you to be. 
Surround yourself with people that will challenge you to be the best version of you that you can be. Now, I am not saying forsake everyone who doesn't, but I'm telling you to keep close to the people that encourage you to be the best version of yourself. My closest friends in the world are the ones that challenge me to be the best father I can be, to be the best husband I can be, and to be the best entrepreneur I can be. Those are the guys I keep the closest because they encourage me. Now, does that mean that I'm, a, that I'm not around some guys that are boneheads? No, I get around some guys that are boneheads. It is what it is. You know, but my job is to help encourage them. And so, and so that's what I do. You know, anyway, that's don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. There you go. So verse 26, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing with this, is it says don't agree to guarantee another person's debt. Now, does it say don't go into debt? No, it does not. There are people in the world that will use this verse to try to tell you something that it is not. This verse, verse 26 of Proverbs 22 says, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt. Don't be a cosigner. Y'all, if another person can't handle it themselves, can't figure out how to get the deal done themselves, they don't need to be entering into the deal in the first place. That is what you need to be sharing with them. That is the wisdom that you need to share with them. Maybe you can put your head together with them and help them come up with a strategy that would allow them to do the deal on their own, but do not put your name on someone else's debt. That is no bueno. That's exactly what this is saying. And, and, you know, we as parents, there's going to be times when we're going to want to do this for our kids rather than being the one to put up your name for your kids, teach your kids the responsibility of dealing with a debt such as that. Let it be them who learns hard lessons. Let it be them who learns how to suck it up and get it done because there's always a way. And in this day and age, heck, our kids are going to be able to out-earn us by the time they graduate college, if they choose. I've told my 16-year-old several times over the last few months, kid, you have it. This is such a different world. You have a world in front of you right now at 16 years old where if you chose to be, you could be a millionaire before you graduate high school. And he was like, what? And I said, look, here's the deal. You have the internet at your fingertips. You have social media at your fingertips. You have the ability and everyone out there can show you exactly what you need to be doing to start generating income. Now, are you going to know everything? No, but you can start and you can start working your way towards that. And then you build the life that you want so that when you go to college, you can go to college, pay for it yourself if you want to, but you can go to college knowing full well that you get to choose the path that you're going to be on and you're not going to have to have it chosen for you. That is power. Cool thing is, is it doesn't matter if you're 30, 50, 70, you have the same ability. From, the, from, from whatever age you are right now, look two years down the road and you literally have the ability to create millions of dollars for yourself in the next two years. You have that ability. 
You may not choose it. You may not want that. And that's fine. I'm not saying that you have to, but you've got the ability. It's at your fingertips. The world is your oyster. So what are you waiting for? If you're waiting on something, let this be your sign right now. Right now is your sign. (laughs) In the words of Bill Ingvall, here's your sign. There you go. So, all right. Oh, we're almost done here. Don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers set up by previous generations. Don't steal. That's what that's saying. And finally, verse 29. Don't, do you see, here, sorry, let me start again. Do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. I think that's pretty self-explanatory too. Guys, this is just the beginning. And I started, I read this verse this morning and I got really excited about what I read because so much of what this podcast is going to be all about was right there in front of us. We're going to talk about income strategies. We're going to talk about wealth. We're going to talk about health because health is wealth. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to, I mean, this is wisdom, work, and wealth. We're going to talk about how to work in the marketplace, how to work at your job if you've got a job, how to build a side income if you want to or if you need to. In this day and age, everyone needs a side hustle of some kind. And so what's the right one for you? I don't know, but we're going to dig through a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of excitement. There's going to be a lot of great things that are going to come out of this. And I'm so excited for what the future holds. This is episode one. Once again, thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you heard something that helps you on your journey of creating wealth and living the abundant life that Jesus promised. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and share it with a friend or two. Also, if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would help others to find us as well. God bless you guys. And remember, get wisdom, do work, and create wealth. I'm Chad Haley, and we'll see you next time.